Good morning. It's Friday, June 26th. Welcome to Axios Today. I'm Nyla Voodoo. Every weekday in just 10 minutes, we'll make you smarter about your day. We're getting started with one big thing. That's our one story you can't miss. Today, we take a new look at reparations for slavery. It's no longer a fringe issue, especially as private companies have started to take action. Plus, we've developed one real-time measure of how much people are going out to bars and restaurants during the pandemic. But first, the case for business reparations is today's one big thing. There's been a renewed interest in addressing racial inequality in the United States and even calls for reparations from the U.S. government. But Axios market reporter Courtney Brown says reparations may actually move faster in the private sector, where calls for change are also getting louder. Some of the world's oldest institutions are reckoning with how they've profited from the history of slavery. One example, uh, Lloyd's of London, it's the world's biggest insurance marketplace. They apologized for insuring slaving ships. What they said a few weeks ago was they are going to do a number of things, including donate to charities that support black and minority ethnic groups to make amends for those actions. They were relatively vague and activists say that's not enough. The Lloyds case is really interesting because actually it was like back in 2004, slave descendants, families who were descended from slaves actually sued Lloyds, right? Right. So it's clear that they were aware of their history with slavery since at least 2004 and probably earlier. Given how old they are, they're over 300 years old. This is the first time that they're taking steps and trying to fix and trying to communicate with the Black community. And that's something we had never seen before. So, Courtney, no word from American companies on this yet, but what's the history there? Well, we know that in 2005, J.P. Morgan, the country's largest bank, came out and said that they had a history with slavery. They used slaves as collateral. And when the loans went bad, they ended up owning over a thousand slaves. So because of that, they said that they were going to establish a scholarship fund. And that scholarship fund would go toward Black students who wanted to attend school in Louisiana, where they ended up owning those slaves. And when people are talking to these corporations about what they want them to do, when they say reparations, what are they asking for? There's one woman I spoke to in my story who's actually a descendant of a slave who was sold by the founders of Georgetown University. But I I don't want um, corporations or anyone to get the idea that, okay, I donated some money. I I did it. I'm done. I I made up for slavery. It takes much more than that. It's not just about money. It's about taking steps to make sure that the company themselves are not perpetuating racism. That it's not just companies that have direct ties to slavery. It's companies that have been involved with things like redlining, things that have set Black people back in this country. The bottom line is, protesters are no longer just looking to the government to make amends. They're asking the companies they rely on to pay up for how they profited from slavery and racist practices of the distant and not-so-distant past. 
We'll be back in 15 seconds with a preview of how protests and the pandemic have created a lot of unknowns in our 2020 elections. Welcome back to Axios Today. Axios Insider is your sneak peek into our newsroom. Joining us now is Margaret Taleb. She's our White House and politics editor. Good morning, Margaret. Good morning, Natalie. Great to be with you. So, Margaret, this week we saw the Kentucky primaries a mess, I think is not an exaggeration. One polling place per county, people banging on doors. Is this a preview of what's to come in November? I mean, Nyla, it could be, and it depends really on three factors. It depends on how close the race is. It depends on how many people vote absentee. And it depends on how many people turn out. And so you could have massive delays at the presidential level. And can you imagine what that would lead to? We still have a lot of elections to watch in the next few weeks, long before we get to November. Okay, so Margaret, there's Utah, Oklahoma, a couple of other primaries. What to you are you going to be watching for next week? If there's one thing that we're learning from these contests that have been unfolding since the pandemic began, it is that you can think you know what the challenges are and the challenges can end up being something completely different. But what is consistent in state after state is that we're seeing such a mass interest in voting absentee and now the added layer of interest among progressives and voters of color in turning out to speak their minds and express their political voices in the wake of George Floyd's killing and the pandemic. Thanks, Margaret. Thank you. I'm not a beer drinker, so it wouldn't even occur to me to do what Axios political reporter Hans Nichols is doing. Measure beer consumption from restaurant and bar taps as a real-time indicator of how different states are reopening. You know, when we were thinking about this story, I just was asking myself, what do I miss the most? And the first on that list is French fries in a restaurant, and the second is draft beer in a restaurant. And so we started thinking about, is there any way to categorize that? And we found this company that tracks data, and they have the ability to say, here's how many taps are open in in the restaurant, here's the average tap, and here's the percent of taps flowing. And that, to us, was a metric, a barometer, for how open individual states were. So obviously, this is not comprehensive or scientific, but it does measure much of the taps in restaurants that are opening. That's your beer barometer? Yeah. So in some ways, the beer barometer is intuitive, right? More beer is flowing in the South in states that opened up earlier than in the North. So you see New Jersey, it's like 18 percent. Arkansas has a 70 percent flow rate. So you see these stark regional differences. You're seeing consumers behave differently. You're seeing consumers factor in whether or not they're going to get COVID. And that's why to us, this may be a useful metric. And on the other hand, another metric that you've been looking at, which I think is also really interesting, is the number of restaurant jobs that have been added. Yeah. I mean, restaurants have been just crushed by coronavirus, six million jobs lost. But the big question with the restaurant industry is, it is it going to come all the way back? And those are a lot of jobs for a lot of people. They're digging out of a big hole. And that's another neat thing about this tap data that we have from the beer board is that it's pretty immediate. Right. There's not a huge lag on it. We're looking what happened last weekend. If you think coronavirus is behind you, you may be a little more confident you're going to go out and the beer is going to be flowing. 
Hans, are you going to come back and tell us what happens if it's crazy this weekend? You'll come back next week and tell us? I would be honored to come back and we'll have a beer in the morning and we'll rename the podcast, which is, you know, Breakfast AM Beer. And uh, we'll see how long it takes for our bosses to fire us. (laughs) That sounds great. Have a good weekend. Take care. Before we leave you for the weekend, I don't think it would be out of the realm for people to think about moving planets right now. So I thought I should tell you, astrophysicists have discovered a star 11 light years away that likely has three Earth-sized planets orbiting it. And just like Earth, the third planet from the star might be able to host life. And if scientists discover it's habitable, we could be one step closer to finding alien life. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. Thanks for listening. Axios Today is brought to you by Axios and Pushkin Industries. This episode was produced by Carol Alderman, Nuria Marquez-Martinez, Kara Schillen, Naomi Shaven, with music from Evan Viola. Alex Sugiyara is our sound engineer. Sarah Kehilani-Gu is our executive editor. At Pushkin, our executive producers are Lital Malad and Jacob Weisberg. You can write to us at podcasts at axios.com, and you can find me on Twitter at Nyla Boodoo. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Thanks for listening. Stay safe this weekend, and I'll see you back here Monday morning.